Our gospel reading comes from Luke 5:12 through 32. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can, for who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Gospel of the Lord. Uh, let's pray together as we stand. Uh, Almighty Father, uh, will you, by your Holy Spirit, uh, make yourself clear? Uh, and will you grant us... Um, We, we want to be one of those uh, people who, are, who know we're sick and therefore receive um, the, uh, the treatment we need. So whatever need, so diagnosis, um, please. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please uh, sit down and, and please turn back to the uh, second reading there, that long one. Um, in order to understand uh, Jesus and really grasp Jesus, you need at least to know two things. On the one hand, you need to understand why Jesus is so compelling to so many people. But at the same time, in order to really understand Jesus, you need to understand why 
he is so repellent to so many people. Why is Jesus compelling? Uh, why is Jesus repellent to people? And oddly, the answer to both of those questions has to do with Jesus's commitment to reconciliation. Um, now, I, I know that, that may not make any sense. So j just to explain what I mean, do a little thought experiment with me. Um, I want you to imagine uh, that it's uh, 2,000 years ago, and you are from uh, someplace in northern Palestine, in your imagination. And imagine that your family has lived in a particular neighborhood for, for time out of mind, as long as anybody has any records. Uh, your family's not rich, uh, but your family's not poor, destitute either. And then one day, the tax man comes to the door, the tax collector, a guy called Levi. And, and that's fine. Your family's always paid taxes. That's no problem. But this time, the tax bell is inexplicably and unimaginably high. And your parents, they, they protest, but there's no recourse and there's no advocate for them. And within six months, uh, the tax man forecloses on the home and, and you all have to move out and go live with extended family. And every now and then you go back to the old neighborhood and you, you walk through where your house used to be, but it's all been raised to the ground and what's there now is a, a big fancy Roman villa. And then imagine it's five years later. And uh, some, some of your old friends that you grew up with invite you uh, to, to a party, to a party where there's this new rabbi that they've been hanging out with. And it seems like an interesting rabbi, seems like an interesting party, so you show up. And the moment you enter the door, immediately you find it all very, very compelling. Uh, why is it compelling? Well, it's compelling because of the people that are there. You look over and you see... Well, some of the people you grew up with, you see a guy called Simon and James and John, the guys. And then you see somebody at this party that you know used to live at the local leprosy colony. You've never seen him up close because you always stayed away from the leprosy colony, but the whole town's been talking about how this guy has been healed by this rabbi Jesus. It's very compelling. Something going crazy going on with this rabbi. And then you look over and you see somebody else that you recognize. And, and you know that this other person uh, was recently, until very recently, paralyzed. And you know that this person was paralyzed because uh, you, you used to kind of step around him very often when you were getting on the subway. And every now and then you'd give him, you know, a coffee from Duncan or something. But right now you see him walking around the party. There's something very compelling happening. And it's compelling because of the people that are there. And then you scan the room and finally you see who you realize must be Jesus. But that's the moment that the bottom falls out of your soul. Why? Because you realize that Jesus, this rabbi is talking about, is talking and laughing and having a great time with the beast that robbed you of your home, Levi, the tax collector. And in that moment, you immediately, there's something re that repels within you. You're, you're repelled by the whole thing. 
<clears throat> Why are you repelled? Because of the people that are at the party. Now, can you see where this is going? Why is Jesus compelling? And why is Jesus repellent? It's because of the people that Jesus invites to his party. It's because of the people that Jesus brings onto his team. Or let me say the whole thing differently. Jesus came to establish a culture of reconciliation. That's what the church is meant to be. The problem is when I say it like that, that the church is meant to be a, a culture of reconciliation, it sounds wonderful and lovely. And in fact, it's more beautiful than we can imagine. But before we grasp its beauty, we have to grasp why it is also something of a scandal. And until we understand its scandal, we don't understand its beauty. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask four questions. It's usually three, but today it's four. It's for free. It's free. Um, what does reconciliation look like on the ground? Why might it repel us? Number three, how does reconciliation actually happen? And number four, what do we do? First of all, what does reconciliation look like uh, on the ground? Um, turn over to the very beginning of the big reading and look at verse 12. It says this, while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you're will, you can make me clean. Now, what um, the Bible calls leprosy is probably a constellation of different disorders. Uh, but there were two really terrible things about having leprosy. On the one hand, uh, it, it, it dismantled your body. But the other thing that was terrible about having leprosy is that it dismantled your community. Um, why? Well, if you had leprosy, the law of the land, and in fact the law of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, said um, that you had to be quarantined. And if you never recovered, you had to be quarantined for forever. Now, I think we can identify with this just a little bit, can't we? Um, why was COVID horrible? Many reasons. COVID was horrible because people died. But COVID was horrible also because it separated people. Just remember, especially here in the city, especially for those of us uh, who, who are single, um, remember the isolation you felt when you were in quarantine. It was horrible. Uh, human beings are not meant to be uh, ripped apart from each other and isolated. And very often when we are isolated, um, uh, 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 our, whole, our whole life, oftentimes our mental health begins to unravel. And that's part of the horror of, of leprosy. As your body unravels, so does your mind because you're isolated. It was a kind of comprehensive image of alienation. So if you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were alienated from your body because your body was falling apart, but you were alienated from your community because you were quarantined, and also in a deep way you were uh, alienated from God because you were excluded from any kind of public worship. Leprosy in the Bible is an Im image of the alienation that evil rots within the world. But now keep that in your mind and look back at the story because Jesus enters the picture and Jesus restores to health what evil rips apart. And that's what reconciliation looks like on the ground. Verse 12, 
Lord, he says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, breaking all convention, stretches out his hand and touches the leper and says, I will, I want to be clean. Now, Jesus breaks quarantine here, um, and he does that with a touch. Um, do you remember what it was like to be hugged the first time after quarantine? Don't ever forget that. And Jesus here is not being cavalier about health. What he's doing is he's acting as, Jesus, as God's representative. And when Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the leper, he's communicating God's desire and God's resolve to restore this man, and especially in his relationship with God. Um, the touch, you know, this man had been alienated from public worship. But the touch of Jesus, the representative of God, overcomes that alienation and reconciles this man to God. It's a remarkable thing. And that's always Jesus' first priority in reconciliation. But then immediately, Jesus also restores this man's body. Um, when Jesus reconciles us, he reconciles us to God. But then in this moment, Jesus shows, and throughout Jesus' healing ministry, he shows the value that God places upon the human body. This is one of the things we often forget. God loves the human body. This is a little bit of an aside, but I think it's worth pointing out. And I wonder if you've, some of us have forgotten that. God loves the human body. He loves your body. He loves your body even if you don't. In fact, in the large story of God's uh, reconciliation, the human body is gathered up into the purposes of God's reconciliation. It doesn't mean everybody gets healed. We will all of us die. But it does mean that if you're in Jesus Christ, one day you will, your body will be perfectly restored to its original intention, just as Jesus' body was restored after his death. And that is part of the crucial hope. And for some of us, part of the story of our experience of reconciliation right now means coming to treasure our bodies, your body, in the manner in which God treasures your body. But I leave that to the side and hasten on. Reconciliation is when Jesus puts back together what evil has ripped apart. He reconciles us with God. He wants to reconcile us to ourselves, but he also reconciles this man to the community. And he does that by sending this man to the priest. Why the priest? Well, the priest was uh, charged with examining people's leprosy and clearing them to re-enter society. And so reconciliation is always social. Jesus wants to lead us from alienation to intimacy, and that always leads into deeper community. And this is one of the reasons why our story ends with a party at Levi's house. So, what does reconciliation look like on the ground? Well, reconciliation is when Jesus puts together what evil rips apart. He reconciles each of us to God. He reconciles us to ourselves, and he reconciles us to the community. And it's the last bit, when Jesus reconciles us to community, that brings up the scandal. Remember the second question. Why might reconciliation repel us? And to understand this, go back in your mind to that thought experiment. Um, go back to when you're at Levi's party. 
And imagine you're there, and you look at Jesus. And you realize that Jesus is talking to Levi, the tax guy that extorted your family. And in the party, you see a bunch of religious leaders, folks you can trust. They're Pharisees. And you go over to these religious leaders, and you start to chat with them, and you realize that you share the same concern. You're thinking the same thing. How in the world can Jesus, with integrity, hang out with a guy like Levi, not to mention a bunch of the other people that are around him? And as you're chatting with the Pharisees there, you look over, and Jesus has actually come and sought you out. And he looks at you, and he especially looks at the Pharisees, and he answers your questions that you've been whispering behind his back with verse 31. He says this, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, as you hear Jesus say that, you ponder it for a moment, and, it begin, and you start heating up. You, get, you start to get mad. You start to get really ticked off. Why? Because all of a sudden you realize that Jesus, he knows what he's doing. It's not that he's naive. It's not that he's like been, he doesn't really realize what Levi's been up to. No, 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 no. All of a sudden you realize that Jesus understands that Levi's a scoundrel. And you realize that Jesus knows that Levi's wicked. And Jesus is having compassion on this guy anyway. And you realize that Jesus is treating that beast with the same kindness that he treated a leper with. And you think to yourself, no, come on, this is, not, this is not equivalent. Jesus, you think to yourself, you're too polite to say it out loud right now, but you're saying it to yourself, you think, Jesus, you are participating in the evil that has extorted me and extorted my home. I am not putting up with this kind of thing. I am not putting up with this on principle. I'm standing for justice and for righteousness, and my anger is justified. And I think you're a fraud. <coughs> Excuse me. Now frame that scene, Fray, freeze that scene for a minute. And in your mind, go over, actually turn over to the Old Testament reading. Um, because the Old Testament reading is a story of hundreds of years before Jesus. It's about a, a story about a guy called Naaman. And Naaman was, uh, he had leprosy, but, but he was also a terrible enemy of Israel. He was worse than Levi the tax collector. And this terrible enemy of the nation of Israel comes looking for healing. Who does he think he is? And a prophet Elisha tells him to go take a bath in a muddy creek. We call it the Jordan River. But that muddy creek is just terribly offensive to Naaman. And so he refuses. Now, consider this, Emmanuel. Naaman's leprosy is a problem. But his pride is a bigger problem. And it's a bigger problem because it's going to keep him from his healing. In other words, the only way that Naaman can ever be healed is if he recognizes his powerlessness and if he recognizes in a humble way the need to follow the prophet's prescription. Now, keep that in your mind 
and go back to Levi's party because the problem with the Pharisees and the danger of the Pharisees and the danger of our imaginary selves in this scenario is that our pride, or maybe better, our self-righteousness, will end up acting like leprosy of the heart. Leprosy always isolates. And self-righteousness and pride isolates us from Jesus' reconciliation. I don't need that muddy river. I don't need this Jesus medicine. I'm fine as I am. And by the way, some of these other people are ridiculous. Now, that's the heart condition that will alienate us from Jesus' reconciliation and can end up destroying us for forever. You see, people find Jesus repellent because of the people at the party. But fundamentally, people find Jesus repellent because of Jesus, because Jesus refuses to recognize the righteousness upon which we build our self-regard. So, reconciliation. It's when Jesus puts together what evil has ripped apart. We find it often repellent because we're too proud to become his patient. And then the third question then is, how does reconciliation actually take place? And the answer for this, we need to look at the paralytic. The big story in the middle. Go back to the New Testament. Look at verse 18. So Jesus is teaching at a house, uh, and the house is super crowded. And a group of friends bring their paralytic friend to Jesus uh, to be healed. But they can't get in the front door, so they, I love, isn't this great? They climb up on the roof, and they drill out a hole in the roof. I wish, I, I want the account of the homeowner. Like, what was that about? Jesus loves it. And he sees that what they're doing is more than friendship. It's faith. Um, what does that mean? It means that these guys dismantled the roof uh, because they trusted Jesus' authority to heal. And that's faith. Faith is trusting not in yourself, but, in, but trusting that Jesus will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So Jesus sees their faith in action, and he begins the work of reconciliation. First, he reconciles uh, the paralytic to God by pardoning his sin. That sets off the Pharisees. Once again, they're repelled by it. How, who do you think you are? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus comes back at them and answers them very articulately by healing the paralytic in verse 24. And by healing the paralytic, he gets up and he walks, and it's vivid, empirical evidence that Jesus actually does have the authority to reconcile people to God. And that had to be a remarkably dramatic moment. But the message for us, Emmanuel, is this. The only way for us to experience reconciliation is to trust in Jesus' authority, just like that paralytic and his friends. And the quickest way to disrupt reconciliation is to trust yourself and imagine that you can kind of sort yourself out. That's what the Pharisees were doing. But in my imagination, I'm back at Levi's house. And I, and I catch, in my imagination, I catch Jesus alone. We're both refilling our wine glasses. And I say, Rabbi, I, I heard how you healed the paralytic, and I can see him over there. And 
And I suppose if you can do that, then maybe you do have authority to reconcile people to God. But Rabbi, we've got to talk about that Levi. I mean, what about injustice? And who's going to make it right? And in that moment, I imagine Jesus could have said many things to me. Uh, he could have told me about Levi's future. He could have told me that one day Levi would have a name change and he would become Matthew. He could have told me about how Matthew would end up writing down one of the great uh, accounts of Jesus' life and how Levi, now Matthew, would insert within the heart of his account of Jesus' life, Jesus' greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus could have told me how through Levi's pen, the Sermon on the Mount would stand against, as a witness against injustice in countless generations and cultures for the course of thousands of years. He could have told me that story. But in my imagination, that's not the story he tells. Instead, he tells the story of his own future. And in my imagination, Jesus looks at me and he says, Jim, you're right. Evil and injustice are bitter, wicked things, and they're more heinous than you know. And it's as if Jesus says to me, one day my body will be torn apart to pay the penalty for the people whom I reconcile. But it's as if Jesus says to me in my imagination, but Jim, it's not going to be the tax collectors who call for my head on that week. It's not mainly going to be the tax collectors who want me killed. It's mainly going to be the people whose heart swells with the same self-righteousness that is right now poisoning your soul. Those are the people that are going to call for my death, Jim. And in my imagination, he squares up to me and he looks in my eyes and he says, Jim, it is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jim, that's why right now I'm calling you. Follow me. What is reconciliation? It's when Jesus puts together what evil rips apart. What makes it repellent to us? Because we don't want to need a doctor. And Jesus is always unveiling our self-righteousness, and we hate it. How does reconciliation happen? When we throw ourselves entirely upon Jesus' authority to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We've got to see our leprosy and our paralysis, and we've got to throw ourselves on Jesus' mercy. And we've got to stop looking at the other guy. Final question, how do we respond? And here's the answer. We need to repent like Levi the tax collector and throw a party. Verse 27. So Jesus finds Levi the tax collector in the middle of his business. And Jesus says, leave all of that and follow me. And I imagine that somehow Levi realized in that moment the leprosy of his sin. Or maybe he realized that he was like the, para the paralytic and he couldn't save himself. Maybe he realized that this was his last chance. For whatever reason, he got up and he followed, and he left it all behind. And that's repentance. Repentance is turning from self, uh, turning from self-trust, turning from autonomy, turning from self-righteousness, turning from the sin that we used to cling to to tell us we were okay, 
and trusting Jesus' reconciliation and expressing that in obedience. And we don't know the details of what all that meant for Levi. We know that other tax collectors, someone like Zacchaeus, uh, made reparation for the, the property he stole. We don't know if Levi needed to. But what we do know is that Levi expressed his repentance by throwing a party for his friends. And I wonder, is that what comes to your mind when you think about repentance? Throwing a party? It should. Because reconciliation is always social. Levi was reconciled to God through Jesus, and then Levi threw a party so that others could experience the same reconciliation. And Emmanuel, that's what a church is meant to be. And that's what we are meant to be. We are meant to be a successor of Levi's party. We're to be an outpost of reconciliation. We're to be a place animated by Jesus' reconciliation and a place where we can share that in ways that are compelling and also scandalous. Because reconciliation is always a scandalous kind of beauty. And it's a scandalous kind of beauty that is the urgent need of our city. Can you think of anything more needed than a community of reconciliation in the midst of this city? So, can you see why Jesus is compelling? Can you see why he's scandalous? Lay down your self-righteousness. Because there's joy at the party. And the joy at the party is better than you can imagine. Jesus is calling all of us to lay aside everything and follow him. Let's do it. And then let's invite others to the party. Amen? Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.